Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Uh, the Kingdom of God, uh, this is kind of straight talk about the Keys of the Kingdom. And what you want to make sure is that you're not unlocking a door that you don't know what's behind that door. Because that may not be a kingdom door. That may be a door to tyranny or despotism or slavery or bondage. Unfortunately, most people have already unlocked that door, gone inside, shut the door, locked the door shut, and are now bound in a system of statutory servitude. And they're all against slavery, but they don't mind enslaving their neighbor in order to get benefits for their personal welfare. And, of course, that's forbidden by Christ because Christ was an anarchist. And now, as soon as I say that, probably 90% of the Christians will say, oh, no, Christ is not an anarchist. That's crazy. But actually, Christ was, uh, you have to understand first what an anarchist really is by definition. Not by what people may, how they may use the word or think that the word is today, but how it, it, what it actually means. It means without a ruler. And of course, the kingdom of God has no rulers except for God ruling each individual in his heart and in his mind. He's writing upon your heart and your mind and your free souls under God. That's the kingdom of God. And it is also sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, but that's just a quirk of translations. But uh, really what, uh, another way to translate the kingdom of heaven, uh, which is Basilius Oranos, is kingdom of the world. Because according to Bible scholars, one of the best ways in which to translate the word Oranos is world. Because it probably means world more than any other word that we treat, see translated world in the New Testament. So anyway, we started uh, last week talking about structure. Uh, that uh, these dry bones that you find in this valley of death. And the, in the, the Bible, they say, can these bones live again? And uh, there's a breathing on the bones and they stand up and then this flesh comes onto the bones and then and then uh, sinew comes on and then eventually there's another breath into those living bones with living flesh and they do live again so what is that all about well bones are the structure of your body they give your muscles leverage without it you'd be just a big blob so that's what we're kind of talking about a structure and how do we how do we comprehend this structure of the kingdom? And one of the ways to do that is to look at structures that people use in governance that are not kingdom. And by the process of elimination, we say, okay, well, we don't want to do that. And we don't want to do that. And we don't want to do that. But is there any problem with doing this over here? And so we were talking about uh, Trey Goff, who wrote... Uh, Actually, we're, we were going to talk about what he wrote in a constitution. Uh, that is a sample constitution. He's trying to figure out some way of how people would organize themselves in a free society. And, you know, he's trying to contact uh, 
different groups that are trying to organize free societies, you know, like this C, uh, one that they're going to try to do out at sea, and others where they get certain land uh, set aside by certain governments and say, okay, you can use this land and you can set it up there because they know that it will bring in all kinds of funds for their country and and trade, and so they're they don't mind giving up some land for an experiment, a social experiment. Well, one of the things about studying history is it saves you a lot of time. I used to always tell my kids two ways to learn things, easy or hard. Well, the hard way is to make all the mistakes yourself, and the easy way is to learn from everybody else's mistakes, and then don't do that. <laughs> do something different. And, of course, we hear all the time people talking about socialism and communism they're all advocating that the kids coming out of school think that it's great because that's what they're teaching your kids in school and they're doing that on your watch because you weren't teaching your kids and you didn't read the school books that they were using you didn't pay attention you just say oh well they got they got a good score and they're getting good grades and so everything's okay and uh again i had another dinner with uh, a former principal of schools and i have told them more than once because he says, well, we have pretty good schools. And I said, no, you don't. I mean, this is why you're graduating kids every day that think socialism is good and communism is good. Even though it killed almost 100 million people last century, they think it's good. And then you mention that and they say, oh, well, that's not real communism. Well, it's real enough. And the reality is, is that if you go down certain roads, you're going to run into certain problems. And so there's some roads that should be less traveled. And if you had a little knowledge of history, there would be a lot less people wanting to go down those roads. But people don't even know. Why did communism fail? Why did socialism so often fail? And people say, oh, well, you know, Denmark's socialist, uh, Sweden's socialist. No, they're not. They have socialist programs, but so do you. As a matter of fact, almost all the economic problems in the United States today stem from its socialist policies. That's that's true. That's a fact. And I can back that up. But that's not what the program's about today. We're going to try to talk about... Uh, and I think he would agree with me. Uh, we're going to try to talk about what is the problem. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about a voluntarist constitution. And and we talked this morning about it and to a great deal of preparing for it and he's got in his preamble the constitution is hereby ordained as preeminent contract outlining the fundamental legal principles and foundational legal framework of truly free society well you've just used the word legal twice in the same sentence with free society (laughs) Legal comes from the Latin, lex legis means to bind. And it says contract there, and contracts bind. Very few contracts give you more freedom. They might give you some license, but they don't give you more freedom. Uh, And that, of course, is why the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt make no covenants with them, nor with their gods, their ruling judges. Because it diminishes your freedom. No, almost nobody's giving away anything for free. So if they're give, offering you protection, it's going to come at a price. The reality is in a truly free society, you don't need to sign a contract to obtain your freedom. 
As a matter of fact, you'd want to avoid it. But anyway, he also admits that he doesn't know if that's a good word to use, constitution, but he does use the word contract there. You do not want, I'm just saying this, but I'm going to explain it in more detail. You do not want a contract with everybody else around you in order to obtain freedom because you're actually creating the very institutions of your bondage. Although you, you put a lot of things in to try to avoid that, he's missing some very fundamental things. Just like the Constitution of the United States was missing almost all of the five precepts in the Bible that you were to write down and read to your leaders every day if you wanted to have a leader who could exercise authority. And there has to be some leaders that exercise authority in this system that he is putting forward. Now, for one thing, we talked about the Constitution of the United States really wasn't a contract. Uh, You end up having a contractual relationship with it when you sign on for it, but the average citizen doesn't sign on, originally didn't sign on at all. He wasn't even a party to it. But the congressmen, senators, and presidents, and vice presidents, and members of the cabinet They're all signing on to that contract. And eventually things like the CIA and the FBI, they're signing on to that contract because they're employees of the United States federal government. But the reality is everybody in the United States, almost everybody in the United States today, is an employee of the federal government. Uh, And you know this because they have a federal employee identification number, which you can get... uh, you know, an EIN or uh, SS number, Social Security number, is a federal employee identification number. It's And once you have that number, then a portion of your labor is going to be required of you. And you will give that to back to the government. And we call that income tax. In Egypt, they called it uh, tribute. And you are expected to pay 20% of your labor into the government in a Corby system of statutory bondage. And that was the bondage of Egypt. And that's exactly what you have today in almost every country, more so in some, but the same principles apply. So you really don't want that contract. Uh, and so we talked this morning a little bit about a better word than constitution, constitution, contracts, constitutions, um, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions is the name of a book that goes through and takes a look at the Constitution and find out why the Constitution is not a biblical document. We talked this morning and many times before that most of the people in America were against the Constitution, but as the Supreme Court ruled, the people were not a party to it. But you can become a party by signing on to other contractual-related agreements, usually for benefits, And one is to get a legal identity. Now, again, that word legal comes from lex legis, meaning to bind. And like if you have a legal title to land, you don't own it. Because a legal title is only an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. That's what the definition of it says. And so if you're looking for a legal framework, you're looking for a framework that's binding you. And so framework sounds like structure, fundamental legal principles and foundational legal framework. Well, what is the framework? Well, there is a framework in the kingdom of God. And we're going to take a look at that eventually. But let's go through this this preamble a little bit more and see what may be missing. Uh, Let's see here. Um, The document is meant to ensure that the right of property being the most powerful of all encouragements, 
to the multiplication of wealth shall absolutely not be abridged or further that the right to self-ownership being inherent in the existence of a human shall likewise be respected. This document further aims to ensure the creation of peaceful and harmonious society predicated on voluntary cooperation such that the tranquility, prosperity, and happiness of all can be ensured. So, if it's voluntary, why do we need a contract to begin with at all? Uh, you should just be able to lay out certain principles and certain precepts, and then everybody just says, you know, raise your right hand, not swear, no, but just raise your right hand if you're going to be participating. What ancient Israel did is they had a head tax. It was about a half a dime, and it was paid once a year, and anybody could pay it for you if you didn't have a half a dime. And other than that, there were no other taxes in the kingdom of God in Israel. And the reason, at least at first, eventually when they rejected God and elected Saul, uh, he ended up imposing a tax. But before that, there was no imposed tax. There was voluntary contributions. Now, why the ante up? That that little ante up, you give something to somebody. Who do you give it to? Well, they were all required to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that would be ten families got together and picked a minister, and they gave it to him. And then he got together with nine other ministers, and he picked a minister. And the this word minister is from a word that means servant. And then they gave to him as well. And so this, this, these funds moved up through the network. Some of them remained with the minister, but it was kind of ante up. It's like playing poker. Okay, we voluntarily sit down to play poker. Okay, you want some cards. You want to be in on the game. You got to ante up. And it's, it's almost a ritual ante up, but it says, I'm in the game. I'm in the game with this minister and whatever ministers he picks. So, it was a way in which to self-organize yourself. You didn't sign a contract. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. You anted up. You gave something in trust, supposedly for the freedom of everybody else in the nation, in a network. And so, now you're in. Now, what do you get for that? Well, you get to be a part of the network that was Israel. You don't, you don't have any guaranteed benefits. You remember, there's no compelled tax, so there's no guaranteed benefits. People might take care of you if you needed help, but they don't have to. Because there's no entitlements in the kingdom. There's no guarantee of justice. There's no guarantee that you're going to get to keep your property. That will be up to the responsibility of everybody else in the network. They have to care about your property rights as much as they care about their own. Now, this is really important because this is where, when we get down in his clauses about uh, courts, you're going to need to know that the responsibility of what Christ calls the weightier matters, which is a list that includes law, judgment, mercy, and faith, is the responsibility of every individual and the responsibility of every individual's chosen minister. 
And you only choose a minister of ten families. And then, like I say, those ministers will get together and they will choose, uh, with nine other ministers, they will choose a minister of their choice. And this eventually networks the entire nation together. It wasn't just Jethro that came up with this that was around since before Nimrod. It was around in the days of Enoch and probably around in the days of Cain and Abel. It's, it's the most common form of voluntary government throughout history. We can show you all kinds of examples of it in many other countries. And, now I mentioned Nimrod. Nimrod used the same thing, but he appointed the rulers over tens from the top down. In a free society, you elect them from the bottom up. So how do we know you've elected this guy? You gave him a half shekel. You A half dime, you know. That you give him that, and you know, hey, and he makes a record that you gave it to him, and you freely give it to him. So you've let go of it. You have no say so in how it's used. But it's only half a dime. Now you can't do much with a half a dime, and even if you had what is what is that? Uh, half a dime of silver. What can you do with, uh, you know, uh, fifty cents? Because that's 50 cents silver. That's what you end up with if you're a minister. Because you got 10 families, each one giving you half a dime. So that's 50 cents of silver. So what can you do with that? Not much. But it's only anting up. It's saying that I'm, I'm in. I'm part of the network. I'm part of the nation of Israel. Now you have to, on a day-to-day basis, tend to the weightier matters. If there's, if there's an issue of law, like we see in the story of Ruth and Boaz, the elders of the community, which are the heads of families, get together and they decide fact and law. What, what, how does it resolve this? Now they have some basic rules that were written down by Moses, which are just statutes of Moses. They're not the same as laws. And they were written down to help explain the Ten Commandments. Because the only law they really had was the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments consist mostly of Thou shalt not. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't make covenants. You know, uh, don't covet your neighbor's goods. Don't kill your neighbor. Murder your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. You know, it's just basic don'ts. They have a few things like keep holy the Sabbath, which really, and I'll just say it here briefly, and I'll explain it more. You can go on the website, preparing you, and find out. Keeping the Sabbath is about staying out of debt. You don't want to go into debt. Now, you might have to from time to time, but if you have a network of people who care about your rights as much as they care about their own, if you need a loan, you can probably get it from your friends. And that's much better than going to a bank. And we can actually show you how to get such loans without going to a bank today. Legally do it with your friends so that your friends can forgive the debt if you can't pay it back. They can choose to forgive it. And uh, they can extend it. They can do all kinds of things a bank can't do. But we can show you how to create an institution that will allow you to deal with the banking money system, which is the only money system you really have in place. Meanwhile, you might be learning how to use a real money system that has real money. But that's another whole thing. We can show you how to function in today's society. One of the things we talked about just at the end of the, the last program was the fact that you don't need to go out to sea and create your own nation. You don't need to demark off, you know, 
10,000 acres of land where you're going to go with a commune, a bunch of people, and organize your own government. You don't, you, there's no frontier where you can go and discover a new continent or something. But you don't need to do that with the kingdom. You can do it right in the city block where you live, right in the communities where you live, right in the towns where you live, or you can do it in the countryside. But if some of you do it in the countryside and some of you do it in the city, you gotta remember that all the people following this plan, wherever they are, all over the world, will be in a network. They'll be connected. Not legally connected with, you know, that word Lex just to bind people with contracts. But you'll be connected by something that is even stronger than contracts. Mutual love. Mutual caring for one another. Because what's really connecting and organizing you is a system of social welfare and charity. Now, most parents would be taken care of by their their children. But things can happen. You get you know, run over by a truck or hit, run over by a bull or something, and you may need other help. So you want to be a part of a network that will be glad to come to your aid. As a matter of fact, that the network it was created to help attend to that other most important commandment in a free society. First is you have to care about the life uh, in general. You have to want to give life. You want to have to produce life, which is. That's loving God because God is the producer of life. And then you have to care about the life that your neighbor creates as much as you care about your own. So those are the, those are the only rules. That's the foundational rules of the kingdom of God. And, and when you unpack that, it'll come out, look a lot of different ways. One thing that shows that you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself is that every week you will contact through a, a a chosen minister nine of the other members in your congregation. And so you care about them enough to say, how is everybody doing? Well, I've checked on everybody and everybody seems to be okay. Nobody needs help. We did that. It was a, it was a storm through the Midwest and we had congregations there. And everybody was checking in to find out how Everybody was doing, but most all of the people that were in the network were well prepared and nobody was in great need, even though there was damage around. A lot of them were out helping other people who weren't as well prepared. But everybody was checking and they were actually disappointed that they, nobody needed help. <laughs> but that's, that's what you want to find in a free society. You see, in a society where you're guaranteed help whether you need it or not, you're going to have deadbeats that are always applying for free food. I mean, I, I've i told the story, but I've seen it numerous times where we had people go down and help out when there was a big fire in California and they brought down food and everything and they were unloading it and then sticking around helping in the kitchen. And lo and behold, there were people getting in line for free food that didn't lose anything. They didn't lose anything in the fire. They actually were just looky-loos, touristing out wanting to see what all was going on in that part of California where there was a fire, and they heard there was free food, so they come down to eat free food. The free food were for people who lost everything. There's some people not only lost their house and their cars and their clothes, I mean, everything in their house just burned up. They fled, and they didn't even have anything but a diaper on the baby, and it got soiled, and they had to throw it away. They didn't even have diapers. And so we're offering them free food. We're not 
offering free food to everybody who's just too lazy to go down to the restaurant or buy their own food uh, that are just out sightseeing. We don't want to buy them food. And if I was there, I'd have drove them off with a buggy whip. But uh, uh, that that's the kind of stuff that you get. But if you have a network where you know each other, you know who really needs help. I mean, who really needs help and who really needs a kick in the pants? Who who needs uh, to be helped out or who needs to be told you need to make up with the rest of your family, stop being such a jerk, and start helping one another out in your own family, and then you wouldn't have to depend upon everybody else's family. Because sometimes that's the message you need to give people. But they got all kinds of excuses why, oh no, well, so-and-so said to me once back in 1996... And so, therefore, I don't want to talk to them anymore. No, 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 no. You're going to have to work out. You, forgiveness is as important as giving in the kingdom. If you're going to have a free society that operates on charity rather than force, because that's the choice. Everybody out in the world wants to operate on force. They want to force the money out of you. They want to force compliance out of you. They want to bind you by getting you to sign this agreement to get this benefit. And you end up more and more. I knew a guy who was trying to be out of the system and, and he ended up having, he didn't really have to, but he thought he had to go back in the system to get some free medical care. And he he went back in and right away the medical people told children's services and state services and and he had, he had to put his kid in school and it, it just got to be a nightmare just because he wanted a little free help. Well, there's no such thing as free help except in the kingdom. And even then it's not free because if you're being lazy, we get to scold you. If you're, if you refuse to work, we don't have to feed you. Uh, we are helping out those who we see are contributors to the community. And, and a lot of times we give people the benefit of a doubt. But that's how you form a free society. Is you, you do that. So again, you don't really want to, uh, constitution, he says, a constitution is only applicable, this constitution is only applicable to those who have explicitly, voluntarily, of their own free will and accord signed it, as well as their children, guests, and visitors. Uh, this is a free society where coercion is absolutely prohibited, meaning that no individual group of individuals and no entity, including any state government organization or group of people in general, under any circumstance whatsoever, may exercise or invoke any rights other than common property rights specifically stipulated herein. All terms used in this Constitution, including the preamble, have a sense and meaning given to them in Article 1 of this Constitution. Well, he's used a lot of words that aren't, aren't in Article 1. And, and, you know, like I just gave you the example of legal. Uh, and, you know, again, I, this is a genuinely legitimate effort on his part. I'm just being the devil's advocate to show you how if you leave certain things out, you put certain things in, and you, as soon as you talk about contract, you're restricting somebody's right. Israel was an unbeatable nation for years until they decided to have a king, and then they seemed to be losing left and right. Uh, they did do a lot of conquering under Solomon, but it all came back to bite them eventually. 
and they certainly weren't free under Solomon. Solomon broke every rule in the book. But uh, private property was absolutely essential, and that's the first thing he talks about in Article 1. Because everybody was owners of their own family land. And if your family prospered, then, then you, you could get more land. Well, what, well, what was going to happen? Most people don't understand this period of hundreds of years where they're having big families in this little country called Israel. They're defeating all the enemies that came against them. They were prospering. People were following their ways because they're saying these guys are healthier and stronger and their families last longer and they're wealthier and because this freedom really worked. So they all were trying it. Maybe not as well as some should, but they were trying it. But what was happening to all these sons that were uh, being born? Uh, they are constantly dividing up this little land of Israel? No. They were getting on ships and spreading this idea all over the world. And this was the time of the Sea Kings and the Etruscans who came into Rome. They had many of these same principles with them. They may have even been Israelites. Uh, there were other evidence of Israelites moving all over, even before the diaspora of uh, dispersion of Israelites during the first Babylonian captivity uh, and after. Uh, and during when the people said, you know, what is David to us? They asked for their freedom back. They wanted the king to step down under Rehoboam and he wouldn't do it. And uh, uh, so some of them said, what is David to us? And they went off. And I'm sure because during this prosperity, many of them were already going off into other parts of the world. And if they brought these principles with them, they were successful. If they strayed from these principles, they became less successful. But this idea of private property, some people say you can't have private property without the state. Well, in Israel, the state was who? Was it the Levites? Were the Levites the state? Well, they were some sort of corporate body that represented Israel, but they couldn't make any treaties for you. They couldn't impose any taxes on you. But when Alexander the Great came into Israel, who came out to meet him? It was the Levites. And he knelt down. Because these guys were well organized, taking care of one another. And and they were already in a vast state of apostasy. It wasn't as bad as it got under uh, Herod. But they were already straying far from the original program. What I'm trying to show you is, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to understand how free nations really worked. And then avoid all those things that opens the door to bondage, and one of them is contracts, which is one of the very first commandments to make no covenants with them. So you don't want to do that. Yet, as I was saying this morning, in a pure republic where everybody's free from things public, not an indirect democracy, again, go read our articles on republic, but a true, actual, free republic where there are no, you know, like I say, it, it comes from, the word republic comes from libera res publica, which Tacitus talks about is is almost unimaginably free and almost unimaginably unimaginably obtained because it is so it requires such a virtuous people to make it work. You can't be free unless the people are virtuous, but you don't have to have everybody virtuous. 
you just have to network with as many virtuous and predominantly virtuous people as you possibly can. And you have to care about other people's freedom and rights. So that's how you get private property is you get a, you get a system of marking off and measuring the property that is yours. You, you register with these ministers that you've chosen, which are third party. You keep a record yourself and that's private property. And if, you know, you can even set up a way of uh, marking your cattle and marking your sheep so you know whose is whose. And if there's a dispute, you have a system already where the ten families, the elders will sit down and settle these disputes. And they have to do it justly or nobody will trust them. Now, we can get in eventually and show you where people went wrong from this. But there you have private property without the state because you're the state. Every one of you are the state. And you manifest the power of the state in free assembly. Not by electing somebody and ruling over somebody, but by getting together and saying, that's not fair. We're not going to put up with that. And so what happens? If you're not abiding by what everybody thinks is fair, you're out. And the fact is the the coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions will eat you up out there in the world, the ravenous beasts, because nobody will come to your aid. You know, one of the things that probably ought to talk about it here, people say, Old Testament, you want to go back to the Old Testament? Not the way most people preach it. One of the things, not only were the stone altars not piles of rocks that you burn up sheep on, not only was the golden calf not just a golden statue, but was actually a depository, a reserve fund. It was in all the, not all the city-states, many of the city-states had these same golden statues, and they were called the reserve fund, because that's your bank, that's your vault. The statue is your vault. And it forces you to do business within the community, because what you issue by what you deposit in the vault, what you issue as if it was currency, as if it was money, is only good in your community. So you're not going to trade outside of your community. And of course, that's what the United States did with tariffs and excise tax. They wanted to impose tariffs on trade goods coming in and goods going out. And so that was that's the wrong way to go. That's the golden calf kind of thing. And not only did they they do that, where they wanted, they gave, created this commerce clause, which we explained in great detail this morning, this commerce clause, so that you could not restrict the trade between the states. But by making those rules and investing that power in the government, rather than in the individual, you've created an office of power. And if you create an office of power, men who seek power will seek office. And, of course, we went into great details this morning talking about what happens when you do that. When you say, okay, and they were doing it in the sense, well, you can't restrict the trade between states. But they gave the power to enforce that to the federal government. And uh, eventually the federal government used that to exercise more and more power over, over almost every aspect of your life. It wasn't that singularly, but we, we went through the, uh, Woker, uh, uh, I was thinking Philbert, but that's not it, uh, the Wicker, um, what was it?
was the the, the second name there, Philburn uh, case, which ended up saying that because a guy just grew wheat and wheat was somehow in the uh, uh, often traded in commerce that they could regulate the growth of wheat. Well, of course, that doesn't make any sense at all, but that's not really what they said and that's not really what's going on. It's kind of like Roe versus Wade where they talk about the fact that the infant in the womb at at midterm is right to life is equal to that of the mother's. Yet now we just see them passing laws that they get to exterminate children at nine months as long as they're still in the womb. And even they're making excuses already of allowing the baby to die after it's born and still alive. And it's just that crazy because they've let the camel in noses in and then it gets worse and worse and worse. The reality is, is what Roe versus Wade was saying is, yeah, the baby has a right to life. The mother has a right to life. They're equal at midterm. But we don't have any jurisdiction to protect the baby against the wishes of the mother. Well, this is why I say I don't want to have the legislature pass a law against abortion, outlawing abortion. To me, abortion is already unlawful. Making it illegal doesn't provide any further protection. Now, all, all you're going to do is get abortions in back rooms and unsafe conditions and other people are going to die and all this stuff. And besides that, if you're making laws against abortion, against having an abortion, you're an archaic. You're exercising authority. It is absolutely clear to me that abortion is murder. It is extinguishing a life that is not your own, maybe dependent upon you, but it's not your own. For your personal gain or benefit, imagined or not. I think you can make laws against forcing people to pay for other people's abortions. And so that any institution taking government funds cannot provide abortions. If you're an institution who wants to provide abortions, you have to be entirely, entirely funded by the people or by contributions or what have you. Cannot be funded by forced offerings, which is what they do now. And, you know, they, they do some fancy uh, bookkeeping, but that's what they're doing. Because so much money is going to places like Planned Parenthood, which allows them to stay in business, in the abortion business, and make millions of dollars off of killing children. And you've created a structure to facilitate that. And so I'm saying, you want to end that structure, take away all funding to such a thing. You'll do more about it. And besides that, abortion is a symptom of a sick society. You know, and the desire for abortion later and later and later and later terms, it's a, it's evidence of a sick society. I could give you placebos, I could give you medication where it might decrease that, but it's not going to make you healthy. You don't want to treat that sickness the way the modern medicine does. You want to get at the root cause. And the root cause is actually socialism. It's selfishness. Because you don't look at the children as a blessing. You look at them as a burden. In a real society, in a free society, children are a blessing. 
The more children you have, the richer everybody is. They don't get that. I mean, you've, you've bred a selfish society, and that's why you have all the abortions. If you make it illegal, you're, you haven't done anything about the selfish society. You're just going to perpetuate. You're going to have, uh, selfish people in back rooms, <laughs> killing each other. It's not the solution. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating one way or the other. I'm, that's that government, and in the government that I serve, it's already unlawful to murder your child in the womb. You know, unless it's in self-defense. That's about the only thing. And then I've known many women who were told that they would die if they had the baby and they chose to have the baby. Some of them did die. Some of them did not only didn't die, they're still, their babies are having babies and they were fine. So they, but the point is, is they took the chance and they had the baby, which is, you they took a chance on love. So anyway, the um, the Wicker Filburn case says that the reach of Congress is evidently, from what I read this morning, you have to go and listen to the whole audio, uh, that their reach is because of something that has happened at an earlier time that changed definitions from direct to indirect or indirect to direct. Somehow or other they did that. And of course we touched a little bit on what's happening. But the reason that could take place is because they either wrote things into the Constitution or failed to write things into the Constitution and they created a structure that allowed the leverage to bring you farther into bondage because you let something in that you should not have let in and you allowed you know, things that you should have prohibited. But when I say prohibited, how? It's in the network. It's in the voluntary network. It's prohibited by principle. It's not prohibited by contract. Like I said, abortion is prohibited by principle in the kingdom. Those people seeking the kingdom are not going... You know, Christians, early Christians, abortion was very common at the time of uh, the early church. And Rome was, that people would literally go down to the big barges, the garbage barges that they would take out to sea and dump garbage. They were doing that back then. And uh, they would be dumping that garbage on. And as they were leaving, they would literally take newborn babies that nobody wanted and throw them on that rubbish pile on these barges. Christians, there's actually stories of Christians jumping in the water, swimming out, climbing onto the barges and taking the babies off, jumping back in the water and swimming to shore to save the babies. The whole idea of baptism, as it was originally practiced way back in the early church, for infants, which we call christening, and a lot of people debate that one way or the other. You can read our articles on what baptism was really all about and christening was really all about. It was about setting a record that if something happens to me, like I'm murdered or die or whatever, here is somebody I already grant the right to take care of my child. Otherwise, you know, a good healthy child would be gobbled up by somebody who would probably enslave them. <laughs> so, you know, so you wanted that record because an unintended child could be taken into bondage. So what you did was... uh you made sure that this child belonged to somebody, and that's what christening was all about. It wasn't about save. Well, in a way, it was to save their soul, save it from bondage. 
Because the soul, and depending on what word we're translating, is the corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality, which is those private property rights that he was talking about in his constitution. Uh, the right to yourself, that personal right to yourself as an individual. Well, that's vested in your family. And it's your family's job to protect you so that you don't, you know, get gobbled up. I mean, that was, uh, they would need cabin boys in England uh, to go to sea. And a cabin boy might not live a long time. It was hard work and and uh, brutal life at sea sometimes and nobody there to protect you. It could be great. You might learn to be a captain before you're done. But the way they got them was they just pressed orphans urchins on the street into servitude and just grabbed them up and took them on board the ship and they became the cabin boy and if they misbehaved they were lashed and they learned to behave pretty quick well to prevent that you needed to write down who has a right to this child if the parent died if something happened to the parents if they were incarcerated and, you know, in if you were forming this free network and free assemblies that operated through volunteerism, if somebody were to arrest you or somebody were to, you know, throw you in jail, you could have a whole network of people say, oh, they show up with records. No, this child needs to go to this custody. The state get, can't decide because you already have an agreement that if something happens to me, my child goes to this person. So that's a form of contract, but it's not with the whole state. But that contract can come in and trump the the state's desire to place that child with this gay couple or with, uh, you know, there's a lot of money in the state of getting un, you know, attended children. And, uh, you know, they put them in the social welfare system of the state and then the state gets money from the federal government for every child they discontinue the rights, the parental rights. So if you already have somebody to take over and they're backed by a network of support, your child is protected. So again, you talk about private property. You didn't need any contracts with this. You just needed wills and testaments. And establish everything by two or more witnesses, which is a critical part. Well, we missed our break, but I'm going to slip in a break here. I'm having so much fun trying to explain all this. But there's a lot to it. But anyway, uh, uh, cause it's an infant kingdom. So how, how does this all work? How, uh, how do, how do we fit all the pieces together? And so anyway, that's what we're going to be, uh, continuing to look at. It's going to take a number of programs to get to all this. But I'm trying to show you you don't want to create new contracts, more contracts. You don't want to be giving some groups power. Uh, and uh, because what you want to be doing is taking back responsibility from everywhere. So anyway, I'll, I'll play this little break and then we'll return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, that Paul Harvey, that's actually a pretty old recording. And, but... Uh, you know, most of the things he was talking about is already done. And he, the point where he says, uh, pray to our Father who art in Washington, D.C. Jesus said, call no man on earth Father. At that time, the government, the Patronus of Rome, the father of Rome was Caesar. 
And all the senators of Rome were called Patri. Patri Cicero, Patri Seneca. And he says, call no man on earth father. He's talking about the benefactors who exercise authority. He's telling you how to form a free government. Like I said, don't invent the will. Find out how the will was made to begin with. What wheels worked. The kingdom of God works. It survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And those who followed the ways of Christ, the real ways of Christ, not what you see Christians doing today, but the real ways of Christ, were extremely successful in during that decline and fall of the Roman Empire. So anyway, back to his uh, private property. He's got a lot of stuff in here previously unknown, abandoned, scarce uh, resources, property rights. In, uh, is you know, and he it's almost like he's thinking out loud. He's putting these things down together. He talks about voluntary consent of the legitimate owners. All these things are so complex in real society because real society is complex that you you will need a system to determine is this a legitimate owner uh homesteading is a process well what 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 is how does that work well that for years when my dad was first practicing law uh they were still quoting what they call precedent what other juries had decided now they don't even care they tell the juries what to decide we used to decide fact and law and i if you read our articles on jury, we show you how all that's gone away a long time ago. You know, it was about the time Woodrow Wilson that that all began to disappear, where the juries get to decide fact and law, because you're in a different kind of court now, but not that whole topic. But uh, he talks in uh, uh, definition four, four of coercive act is any act involving the use of private property on which a co- cognizable property right already exists without the free and voluntary consent of a legitimate owner. Well, who has the right to decide what happens with your children? Isn't that, wouldn't that be you, your children? Aren't they property? Now, people don't want, oh, I don't want to call my children property. Well, it means it's protective. I have the responsibility for my children. I take care of them. Nobody else, because they want to force vaccinate your children now. Many states are, are trying, and it's interesting, after millions and millions of dollars went out to congressmen all over the United States uh, as donations, now all these congressmen are voting, yeah, let's give it force vaccinations, which is billions of dollars coming back to the phar- pharmaceutical companies. And, but there's actually a, a deeper, more sinister thing behind it all, but we won't get into that. But the reality is, is that are they your children? What happened to my body? It's my body. Why do you get to decide? And this is not just for kids, because anybody born after 1953 may have to bring all their shots up to date. We're talking about forcing everybody in the United States to undergo these vaccinations. Now, right now, many states are voting it down. Other states are going to probably pass it. You know, they're doing it in New York, going from house to house, and they're talking about it in, in Oregon, and barring you from going to any public place if you can't prove that you've had these. But this is this shows a trend and a movement of society. Very, very dangerous. In Article 2, he talks about rights. Every human being has an inherent right. Well, where does that come from, the inherent right? It comes from families. Because that's where you're born, in families, from generation to generation. 
And again, like I talked this morning, families is that cohesive uh, corporate entity where a man and woman come together, no more twain, but one entity. And all their children belong to them. And if a father mistreats his children, abuses his children, well, nobody's going to take care of him. I know a guy who was always abusive of his kids. And, uh, I mean, never even got married. He lived on his wife's welfare and eventually got, had, couldn't go there anymore. Even when he got out of jail, it was just that he was a mess. But he was always talking about rights and all this kind of stuff, but he never even took responsibilities. Uh, but he didn't take care of his kids either. So who's going to take care of him? Well, the government will take care of him. He's been a total jerk most of his life, but if he isn't in jail, he'll be on SSI or Social Security, and he'll get those payments, and they'll take care of him. In the kingdom of God, no, we don't do that. Let's go back to one of those translations of the Bible that people... Well, are we supposed to stone people then? Well, just as the golden calf was a central bank, and the red heifer was foreign aid, and the stones were actually living altars, and you weren't burning up sheep, but you were giving up a share of what you produced to help out those people who actually had needs. But we had rules like, if you don't work, you don't eat. And sloth is not a virtue, but a vice. So we don't reward sloth. And so we have all these precepts, but they're applied by individuals making choices, individuals attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Who deserves mercy? Who deserves to get fed? No, this guy's just going to have to fast. I'm not feeding him. He's been a bum all his life, and I'm not going to take care of him. When he's really hungry and lost about 30 pounds, I may help him out then. But he has to show evidence of repentance. So anyway, this is this is in the hands of everybody within the network. We have to learn how to take care of one another where we strengthen the poor, not weaken them. Because this was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't homosexuality. homosexuality. It wasn't abortion. These weren't the sins. They did those things. But the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible tells you, in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. Well, what doesn't strengthen the poor? Social welfare states. It weakens the poor. Look at the black community. Look at Detroit. Look at Baltimore. These The LBJ's war on poverty has weakened the people, has not strengthened them. So in the kingdom where the blood that this person is going to consume to take care of them actually comes from, it's your blood, like the, was it Margaret Thatcher? Problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. But in the kingdom of God, if you're not doing good with the money that people contribute to you, they're not going to contribute to you anymore. So again, the responsibility is back in the hands of the individual. And and so this brings us to courts, which we're going to have to talk about later. You can't have professional courts. You can't have professional judges. But that same network of charity is exactly where your courts start. And there's an appeals court process too. Already built in. You can't tell it from the translations you're getting now. But it's the way... For a free society. But we'll have to talk about that next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Because I'm going to have to go take care of the sheep. Anyway, till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.